Great to see you all this morning. How you guys doing? Excellent. Um, yesterday, for those of you guys who came to the picnic at the park, uh, it was awesome. It was such a great time. Thank you all uh, for volunteering, for helping out, cooking, connecting with people. It was a wonderful time to just be present in our community. Uh, and uh, that's right. <laughs> And uh, just connect with people in the area. And it was great. We got to meet a bunch of different people that live in the area here. And, uh, and there's a lot of people who are still looking for a church. And so it was just a wonderful time to, to really connect and be present. So uh, thank you guys for that. Also, our One Church shirts. You saw those? Yeah. Woo! So they are out there in the lobby. If you would like to pick up one of those, they are $10. Uh, you can buy one after service today if you haven't gotten one yet, and we'll get one to you. So does that sound good? Awesome, awesome. Well, for those of you who are here who are married, you may be more familiar with this thing that I like to call in relationships the list. I don't know if you guys know what the list, some of you guys already know. You, you can tell what the list is, and this applies to any relationship. And for you men out there, no, this is not the honeydew list. Um, this is not the list of things that your wife's asked you to do that you haven't gotten to yet. No, we're not talking about, that's a different list. No, this list is the list that tends to come up in our minds or in our hearts when someone does something that we don't like. So the list kind of pops up. And the list kind of goes something like this. Someone does something that we don't like and we say, you always do this, this, this. And remember last time when you did this? Remember when you did this and this and this and this? And, and we keep this record. Uh, it's like any time we have this stored away, this little file. And we all do it as human beings. It's just, it's natural. It just kind of comes up to our mind. This list pops up of all the different ways in which this person maybe has hurt our feelings or does something that we didn't like or something offensive or whatever it is. And it could be really, really small. It could be really big, whatever it is. But we all have this internal list that kind of pops to our mind when someone says something. And some of us have a more extensive list than others. Um, some of us have a greater memory, and we take care of our list a lot more intentionally. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm not saying who that is, but, uh, but the point is, is there's something in us as human beings where we, we want kind of justice, right? We have this idea of like, I want justice, justice. Uh, and so when someone wrongs us, we, we kind of want to keep track, we want to keep a record, and so that next time something comes up, we have evidence, right? We have evidence. We're like, hey, here's the evidence. You know, here's the evidence against you that you need to change and do things the way I like you to do them. And the, the, the way that I feel more comfortable or that, uh, that minister to me or whatever it is. And so there's something in us that wants that. But something that's amazing about Jesus is what he does with our list. 
And listen, we have a long list of offenses, right, against God. We all know. We're all guilty, right? Uh, sins, mistakes, all the different things that we've done to offend God, maybe abandonment, rejecting him, pushing him out of our life, whatever it is. We got a long, long, long list of things that have been offensive towards God. And God, instead of keeping that list intact and filing it away perfectly so he has record of every infraction, the Bible says that Jesus takes our list and he nails it to the cross. He takes every infraction, every sin, everything that we've ever done wrong and he nails it to the cross, meaning it's dead to him. Every offense, every infraction, boom, covered by the blood of Jesus. And that's powerful. That's power. And then we, because of that, because of what Christ has done, we are forgiven. And we are clean because of Jesus. So the title of my message this morning is Forgiven. Forgiven. Let's, let's pray over the word. Lord Jesus, we ask God that you speak to us this morning through your word. Transform our lives by your love. Lord, as we dive into your love and forgiveness today, Lord, let it minister to our hearts, God. Lord, you are so good. You are so faithful to us. And Lord, I pray that your word will be good seed planted in good ground that will bear fruit in our lives. Lord, anything that is of me, I pray that it will fall to the ground and come to nothing, God. But your word, I pray, will remain and bear fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we are continuing in our series this morning on the law of love. So we've been diving into the love of God in all of its different aspects and dimensions and attributes, which it is large and grand. And there's a lot of different things about the love of God that we have to learn. And so last week, we talked about how most of us, when we first experience God's love, it's through the lens of affirmation that God sees us, that he truly sees us for who we are, and that he loves who we are. And God is able to look past all the ashes in our life and look at the beauty beneath. And he can look at the beauty behind all of our brokenness and insecurity and imperfections. And then he calls that out. That's what's great, is that God doesn't just see it. He doesn't just see who he's created us to be and calls it good. No, he calls that out of us. He believes in who he's made us to be in, in spite of our, all of our deficiencies and all the ways that we've made mistakes in our lives. And then he calls that to the surface and then he makes it public. He lets everybody know, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Just like Jesus after he got baptized, he hadn't done any ministry, hadn't done anything for God yet. And God proclaims over him, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And God speaks that over us. No matter what we've done in our lives, he sees who we are, he believes in it, he calls it out, and he makes it public. And so we learned about how when we freely receive that love from God, then we can freely give it out. We look with love upon people. We look through the lens of love and see people the way God sees them, as priceless, chosen by him, 
made in his image, his sons and daughters, right? And then we believe the best about others, credit them with good intentions, and are not suspicious. Woo, that's tough. But God invites us to do that just like he does. Believe the best about others, credit them with good intentions, and not be suspicious, and then aggressively advertise the good in other people. Aggressively advertise it. Now, they're good. They're awesome. You know, like we talked about it. When we hear people talking negatively about someone, we're the ones that drop that affirmation bomb in the middle of that gossip. Actually, you know, something I really appreciate about them is this. Oh, yeah. That's what we want to do. Freely receive, freely give. So we're going to continue on that. And a lot of times right after we experience that affirmation that God values us, he places value on us, what follows shortly after that or maybe even at the exact same time is forgiveness. Is the forgiveness of God. This may be the most powerful truth of God's love, that he forgives all our sins. All our sins. That is powerful. He doesn't keep that list. So how do we learn about this? We've got to look at Jesus. He's the visible image of the invisible God. So if we want to know what God is like, we've got to look at Jesus. We want to know what love looks like. The Bible says God is love. We've got to look at Jesus. He's how we know. What does love look like in this world? So let's look in Luke chapter 15 parable that you are all very familiar with, I'm sure, many of you. The prodigal son, verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living, in wild living. So he's, he wasted all of his inheritance. Everything that he had, he wasted it on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. That meant you're in, you're in a tough place if you want to eat pig slop because it's garbage, basically. It is disgusting. So he's in a rough place if he's wanting to eat that. That looks good to him. He's hungry, okay? So he longed to fill his stomach, and then it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he prepares this speech. I messed up. Okay, so just, I don't, you don't have to treat me like a son anymore. Just make me a servant. I know I've squandered everything, so I'll just be your servant, your slave. Verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, like way out in the distance, it says his father saw him. Remember what we talked about last week? God sees us. His father saw him 
And this is how I saw him. He looked with love and was filled with compassion for him. Not anger, not regret, not offense or bitterness because he wasted everything, because he was covered in mud or pig slop or whatever he was covered in. No, it says he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, an old man, okay? He's running long distance, running to his son, threw his arms around him, aka tackled, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, he began his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him. He says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Woo! This is a beautiful picture of the love of the Father. This is our story. Every single one of us. We start out our life and there's something in us that says, I'm going to do my thing. Right? I'm going to live my life. I want to do what I want. And so I'm going to take the gift that God has given me, this life, the talents he's put in me, uh, the, the passions in my heart, whatever it is, and I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. It's about me. And so we all do it. We go out and we, we live our life and we spend our time and invested in whatever wild living might be the case. But then somewhere along the line, every one of us comes to the realization or we have come to the realization that sin and selfishness is empty. It is vain, there is nothing there, there is no substance. It's like grasping for the wind, it's like smoke, remember? It, it looks like it has substance, but then when we go to grab it, it's empty. When we live for ourselves, Apart from the Lord, there's something, it's just we're, we're, we're grasping and we're grasping and we keep coming up with nothing. And just like the prodigal son, we come to our senses and realize, I have a loving father. I have a loving father. I have a heavenly father who loves me and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna come back to God, but with a lot of shame, with a lot of guilt, and I'm gonna say, no, just, just make me a servant. Just make me a servant, God. I'll start at the bottom of the mountain. I know you're at the top and I'll work my way up. I'm gonna earn my way back up to you, God. I'm, I'm gonna start here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna earn it. I'm gonna do right by you. I'm gonna do my best. I'm sorry, make me like a servant. You don't have to treat me like a son. I'll just start here. And so then we turn our attention to God. And we turn our heart to him and something happens when we turn our hearts to God, even just the slightest turn of our heart. And we acknowledge God and we say, God, I don't have it. And we're coming to him. And as soon as we turn our attention to God, what does he do? He runs and he meets us in our brokenness, in our shame, in our guilt, 
in whatever it is that we've been carrying, our stress, our worry, he meets us and he tackles us to the ground and embraces us and he gets into all of our mess. We're covered in filth and God gets up in there. I'm not a, he's not afraid of our sin. He's not afraid of what we're carrying. No, he comes to us and in the middle of all of our mess, he embraces us with love and affection. This is the father. And then he kisses us and he takes us in. And then he doesn't just leave us there. No, he says, let's bring out the best robe and put it on my son. Get this filth off of my son. This is my son. He's not gonna be wearing this. Get him new clothes now. I don't care what he's done. Take this off of him because I'm gonna put a robe of righteousness on him because of what I've done. I'm gonna put sandals on his feet. We're gonna make him clean. And I'm gonna put a ring on his finger saying uh, he, he's a son of the house, the seal of the master, that he is a son here. He is a master in this house. I am restoring his authority that was lost. And, and we, when we come to God and we try to give him our speech, I'm no longer worthy, God. I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. He interrupts us. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. And nothing that you do can change that. You belong to me. And so he restores him, his authority. And then he says, and let's party. And we celebrate. He celebrates us coming back to him. Every time, by the way, no, no matter how many times we do it, no matter how many times we go away from him and come back, each time we come back, it's the same embrace, the same celebration because he's a good father. Amen? So, he never says, I forgive you. You notice that? It's not in the story. He doesn't say, Oh, just so you know, son, your sins are forgiven. No, he doesn't do that. But it's implied <laughs> that his son is forgiven. So what does forgiveness look like? What does God's forgiveness look like? Number one, affection. The father showed affection to his son. Remember, he saw him from a long distance and was moved with compassion. And he ran to him and embraced him in his mess. And that's God's forgiveness for us. Embracing us in the midst of the mess, even when we're still struggling. God doesn't wait for us to get it together to embrace us. He doesn't withhold his love until we get things together. Not the way God works. No, we turn to him, boom! All his love and affection. So affection, we see affirmation. He kept saying, this is my son. This is my son. This is my son. This is who he is. He was proud of his son. His son was covered in filth. He's like, no, this is my son. Get that robe on him. We see affirmation and then we see restoration. He restores him to his position of authority in the family with that ring, that seal on his finger and then celebration. 
affirmation, affection, restoration, celebration. This is God's forgiveness. This is his love for us. This is how he responds to us. And all it takes for us is just a slight turn. We turn our attention to God. As soon as we do that, the Father runs to meet us where we are. And he doesn't stand at the top of the mountain and say, okay, work your way back up here. Come on. No. He comes down and says, let me take you to the top. Because it's because of Jesus that we have the righteousness of God. So we see it in this story. And then we also see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus himself forgiving, constantly giving it out, just freely giving out forgiveness. Look at this. Uh, Last week we talked about uh, the story of the woman who came to Jesus and she was washing his feet with her tears and her hair and perfume. Kind of a weird picture, Um, but it was worship. She was basically worshiping him. But he was sitting at a table with a Pharisee, a religious leader of that day. And as he's sitting at the table, this woman comes up who's a well-known sinner, right? And, And who knows what that means in that context. But she comes up, she's washing his feet, and then Simon, the religious leader, thinks in his mind. He thinks, man, if Jesus knew, if he was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is that's touching him. She's a sinner. And so he thinks that in his mind, and listen to what Jesus says. Now remember, he's talking about his daughter, the Pharisee. He's thinking this about his daughter, by the way. This is the daughter of God. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Uh Uh-oh, I got something to tell you, Simon. What, you're thinking about my daughter? He says, tell me, teacher. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now listen, we all have been forgiven much. If we think that we haven't, then there's something wrong. We all have been forgiven much. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus offered it. What did she do? She turned her attention to God. And then he poured out forgiveness. Guess all her sins, all her sins are forgiven. Now go in peace. This is just one of many instances where Jesus Forgave. You have the paralytic in Luke chapter 5 where his friends tear open the roof where Jesus is preaching and they let down their friend on a mat who can't walk right into the midst of the crowd. And so you think Jesus is just going to heal the guy. Obviously, he healed a lot of people. 
But the first thing he says to him is, son, your sins are forgiven. Then later he says, oh, and just so you know, I have the power to forgive sins. Stand up and walk. And he's like, oh, sweet, thanks. <laughs> he walks home. Your sins are forgiven. And then the thief on the cross, crucified next to Jesus, says, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Clearly he was a criminal. Sins forgiven. And then of course the ultimate cry of forgiveness. While Jesus was being crucified by his tormentors, nails through his wrists and through his feet, shamed publicly naked in front of all these people, a crown of thorns on his head, Jesus cries out to God and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus forgives. And this is how he loves. One of the many ways that God loves us. So what does this teach us about love? What are we learning about love here? Number one, we learn that love isn't easily offended. Love is not easily offended. We don't have to walk on eggshells around Jesus thinking we might offend him. Not the way it works. If the people that were crucifying him, if he cried for their forgiveness, I'd say he's probably not easily offended. So love's not easily offended. Number two, love doesn't keep an account of wrongs, but erases resentments. It doesn't keep an account. It erases resentments. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds in verse 17, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Man, that is powerful. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Jesus was the final sacrifice. And our sins will be remembered no more. And then Psalms 103, 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, so in other words, forever. <laughs> God removes our sins from us and then he remembers them no more. He erases every account. Jesus, when, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery and they asked Jesus, hey, the law says we should stone her. What do you say that we should do? And Jesus says, he who's without sin can throw the first stone. Then all the people leave. And he goes to the woman, says, where are your accusers? Says, no one condemned you. She says, no one, Lord, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The sin was right there, adultery. But he didn't take the sin and hold it against her. He didn't say, hey, hey, look, see this, this. No, that's not what he did. He said, listen, you're, you're forgiven. Don't do this anymore. But I'm not condemning you. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3, 17. 
so he doesn't hold it against her. Same thing with the prostitute, same thing with the tax collector. He didn't hold their past sins against them. He accepted them as they were and he met them as they were and he embraced them. He doesn't hold, he doesn't make a list. The devil makes a list. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. So the devil literally makes a list and accuses us of everything that we've done wrong. He'll tempt us to sin. Hey, come, you want to do this? You want to do these things? And then as soon as we sin, then he says, I can't believe you did that. And he he guilts us and he puts shame upon us. He accuses the brethren, but Jesus burns the list. He burns it. He nails it to the cross and it's dead. Number three, we see about love. Love separates sin from sinners. Separates the sin from the sinner. The woman who wept, right? Simon saw her. He saw the woman crying and weeping at Jesus' feet. But what did he see? He saw her sin. He said, this woman is sinful. That's how he defined her. That's what he saw was the sin. What did Jesus see? He saw the woman. He saw that she was a daughter of God, that she was made in God's image. Someone that he loves and that he died to save. That's who he saw. And so he was able to separate. Now he knew the sin was there, but he was able to separate the sin from the sinner and then love the sinner. Hate the sin because it's deceptive and destructive, but love the person. That's what love does. It gives us the ability to separate the sin from the sinner and love the person as a child of God for who they are. And then acknowledge, yeah, sin is deceptive and it's destructive and you don't want it in your life because it's gonna destroy you. Just like Jesus said to the adulterous woman, go and sin no more. Don't do this. It's gonna destroy your life. He's like, but I love you and you're defined by how I've made you, not by what you have done and the mistakes that you have made. He separates Sin from the sinner. There's something in us a lot of times that we want, again, that idea of justice. And so we want to hold someone accountable for their sins, which there is, sin has its own judgment, for sure. And it has its own consequences, and we know that. We've experienced, many of us have experienced the consequences of sin in our life, that it is destructive. But, Holding on to an offense doesn't bring any justice. Unforgiveness doesn't bring any justice. It doesn't hurt anyone. It doesn't make them pay. And we might think that. We might think, oh, I'm going to hold on to this offense because they need justice. They need to know that what they did was wrong. Well, here's the thing. Unforgiveness, you probably heard this before, but unforgiveness is like looking at someone who's hurt us and we're intending to like get them back and we're holding a cup of poison and we're like, I'm going to get you back. And then we drink the poison. doesn't do anything to them, but unforgives us. It kills us and destroys our life when we hold on to bitterness and offense. There is no justice that is brought because of that. And so we're, we're, we're deluding ourselves into thinking that it will bring justice. It will not. Jesus will bring justice It belongs to him. Our job 
is to love. Number four, love isn't picky. It doesn't pick and choose. Jesus didn't pick and choose who he loved. He's like, I like these people, but not these people. That's not the way Jesus was. Look at what he said in Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. So he definitely wasn't picky. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? He didn't pick and choose who he forgave and who he loved. I mean, look at the people that Jesus called out that he spent time with. Zacchaeus, again, he didn't do anything. He was a tax collector. He called Matthew a tax collector to be one of his 12. The thief on the cross, all the people that were crucifying it, he, he, he wasn't picky. He loved everyone, no matter how much they got on his nerves. <laughs> he loved them all. So how do we respond? Remember, in the first week we talked about, okay, every time we learn something about God's truth, the truth of his love, we have to respond in two ways. One, grasp, grasp his love, meaning receive the full measure of it. Freely receive his love for us and then remain in his love, which means freely give it out. So we freely receive this forgiveness from God and then we need to freely give it out. So Colossians 2, this is the verse I was alluding to before, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So the truth that we have to receive from the Lord is we are forgiven. God's not holding a grudge. He's removed your sins and remembers them no more. Man, that's powerful. Because I don't know about you, but I'm my own worst critic. And when I do something wrong, the first thing that I do is, oh, man, I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? It's so dumb, so stupid. Oh, and so I'm sorry, God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I remember one time God got onto me for that because I would wake up in the morning and the first thing I would say is, I'm sorry. And God's like, okay, tone it down, son. Because I would wake up and be like, I should have woken up earlier and spent more time with Jesus. I'm so sorry, God. Oh. And then God's like, okay, next time, every time you, you want to say, I'm sorry, Instead of that, say thank you. Shift your focus and just exalt me. Lift me up instead of trying to put yourself down. We are forgiven. God isn't holding a grudge. and He's removed your sins and remembers them no more. Thank you, Jesus. So he asks us, why do we keep on bringing up things that God has willfully chosen to forget? I'm sorry, God, I always do this. I'll, what are you talking about? He's, he's forgotten. He's, he's removed those. The Bible says that he's literally cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. They're at the bottom of the ocean, never to be found again. So the things that Jesus died to remove, we don't need to bring those up to God anymore. We have been forgiven. Okay, now, we freely receive. Now what? Freely give. This is the harder part. Freely give forgiveness. 
Matthew 18, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 bags of gold, that's a lot of money, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all the head he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt entirely, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Not 10,000 bags of gold, 100 silver coins. He grabs him and begins to choke him. This is intense. Choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sounds familiar. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Wow. God's saying, listen, I've given everything to you affection, affirmation, restoration, celebration. I've cleaned your slate. I've made you new. The only thing I'm requiring is that you do the same. You freely receive. Now you freely give. Forgive. If I didn't hold it against you, I'm not holding against that person. You have to forgive. So God calls us to love our enemies and forgive so that we may be forgiven. The same question applies. Why bring up what God has willfully chosen to forget and to forgive for someone else? Why bring up an offense that Jesus died to remove from that person's account? God asks us to forgive freely. So I want to close with this. Forgiveness is not that easy because A lot of times there are people in our lives that have harmed us and they were wrong. Like there's no question what they did was wrong. They hurt you. They did something to you that was legitimately wrong. And it's really hard to forgive when we're wounded. When we're carrying around a wound, it's, it's almost impossible to forgive. So then the question is, how? How do we do it? I wanna close with this story. You you guys may have heard of this woman. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. Anybody heard of Corey Ten Boom? So she was arrested for hiding Dutch Jews from the Nazis during World War II. And she survived the horrors of concentration camp. She made it through, although her sister died in the camp. But then she went on to preach this message of forgiveness, that she was willing to forgive her captors. 
But Corey herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in Munich, Germany. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man well. He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrück. One who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, she wrote. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, a fine message for a line. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Her line, again, the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy, her sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before the former SS man, Corey remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Jesus, help me, she prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. Corey thrust out her hand. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. So how? How do we forgive? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is a choice. It is a willful choice, but it's a choice that we don't have to make alone. The Spirit of God is in us, and He is with us, and He gives us the power that we need to forgive and to receive His forgiveness. So if you wouldn't mind, everyone just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here and you might be saying, 
I need to receive the forgiveness that God has for me. I've never felt that kind of love. And maybe for the very first time, maybe you've never asked God to forgive you. You've never accepted his forgiveness, what he's done for you at the cross. And you say, I want to know that. I want to know Jesus. I want to start that journey, that relationship with him. If you're here, the Bible says in Romans 10, you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. All it takes is us just turning our attention to God and saying, God, please forgive me. I want to follow you. And then that's it. And then God does everything else. So if you're here today and you say, man, I want to make that decision. Maybe you've made it in the past and you need to come back to Jesus. Or maybe it's the first time. Either one, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you want to make that decision today, just as a sign to God that you want to say yes, I just want to ask you to raise up your hand right now. Anyone in here, if you, you say, I want to make that decision and begin the journey of following Jesus or come back to him, just raise up your hand and you can put it right back down. Thank you. Do that. And then maybe you're here and, and you just need a refresh. You just need to receive freely the love of God you've been carrying a lot you've been hard on yourself you've been your own worst critic and you just need to receive from the Lord, God just wants to pour out his love on you this morning, it's on you this morning all we have to do is just say God, I receive your love that's it, and then God will meet us where we're at and then lastly, maybe God's put it on your heart saying there's someone you need to He's brought them up and you knew immediately who it was. And God's asking you to make a choice. But he's saying, you don't have to do it alone. I'm right here with you. If that's you, then you can just speak it out. You can speak it in your heart and speak it out loud as we worship, whatever. You can ask God to give you strength. You just say, I forgive. And then just whoever, whatever their name is, just an act of willful obedience to God and then God will provide everything else. So this time, if I could just invite our prayer team to come to the sides up here. Um, anyone on our prayer team, if you guys could come up. Listen, if you need prayer for anything, for any of these things, we want to pray with you. Or it could be something totally unrelated. It could just be anything in your life, anything you're just like, man, I just need prayer for, for this or that or whatever. We want to pray with you. So could you all just stand to your feet? I want us to close and worship. Just stand to your feet. We're gonna, Bill's gonna lead us in this song again. And as we worship, this is a great time. Put our hands out to heaven and just receive freely a fresh outpouring of God's forgiveness and his grace and the truth that we are forgiven. And then an act of the will to forgive. So let's, let's close and worship.
you restore every heart that is broken great are you grace, God, as we enter into our week and go back to our life, Lord God, to, to forgive quickly. God, give us the grace. As soon as their offense, offense comes, God, give us the strength that we need to forgive quickly, immediately, to see the person separate from the sin and to love that person. God, in spite of whatever it is that they might be going through and to cause them to act out, Lord Jesus, give us the grace to do so, to freely receive and freely give your love and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, awesome, guys. Love you all. Uh, if, you, if you have not gotten uh, a shirt, uh, you can get one in the lobby after the service. Uh, and uh, they're $10, and then uh, Ashley will be out there to, to help get you guys one. Uh, and then if you don't have the size that you need, you can sign up for that. Um, looking forward to next week. Thank you guys again for everyone who came out to Picnic at the Park. It was awesome. Love you guys, and I'll see you next week.